Good morning and welcome to Men's Leadership Network. Welcome Cool Springs at, at Bricks. Welcome Nolensville, Highway 55 and downtown at Flavor Catering. And of course here in the room in Franklin. If you have questions throughout our interview today, you can tweet your questions in at, at leadership underscore net or email them at questions at mensleadershipnetwork.com. And today we're excited to welcome Dr. Brad Dennis to the MLN stage. Brad received his undergraduate at the University of Georgia. After medical school, he completed his residency in general surgery at the Medical Center of Central Georgia in Mankin, then finished his surgical training with the fellowship at Vanderbilt in the Trauma Surgery and Surgical Care, Critical Care Unit. He is currently an assistant professor of surgery at, at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. His clinical practice involves trauma surgery, emergency general surgery, and surgery, surgical critical care. He's part of 12 trauma surgeons that staff one of the busiest trauma centers in the country, admitting more than 4,000 trauma patients every year, nearly half of which require ICU admission. In addition to patient care, Brad is heavily involved in trauma education, which makes him a perfect fit to talk to us today about how to handle tragedy that comes through in life. He serves as a director of the Vanderbilt Trauma Outreach Education and Inner Injury Prevention Program in this capacity. He's involved in teaching many different trauma care courses to various groups from trauma surgeons and surgical res residents to paramedics and to the non-medical public. He is passionate about teaching skills to, to medical and non-medical provider in an effort to limit the tragedy of preventable death due to trauma. In his free time, Brad enjoys spending time with his wife, Kristen, and his three children who are active, actively involved in youth sports and theater. And we are pleased to welcome to the stage our friend, Dr. Brad Dennis. Awesome. Brad, it's great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here, man. I appreciate it. So, Brad, I mean, incredible introduction. You know, I mean, you've done a lot in the medical field. How did God lead you into the medical field? Well, I think God actually started through my father. He, mm. um, when I was, you know, growing up, he always encouraged me to do, I guess he recognized that I had math and science aptitude. And so he always sort of nudged me in that direction, talked about engineering and medicine and, and really sort of said, you know, you can do whatever you want, just don't do business. <laughs> and so, so he sort of was probably the first that, that really introduced me to it. And that's what kind of led me, um, into the medical field. But once I got into the medical field, I think what I really see the, the fingerprints of God when I see what led me to trauma surgery. And, and so for me, you know, I finished medical school and I actually wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and um, was not able to uh, land a residency spot uh, in, in ortho. And so I uh, went down the general surgery route um, and through a number of uh, issues, found myself really in a position where I, I didn't really have a job for the upcoming year. Um, and that's where God started opening doors in my life and um, led me to Macon, uh, as you heard, where I, where I did my general surgery residency. Um, and so it was in Macon where I first um, really learned that I, that I loved trauma. I loved taking care of ICU patients. Um, and then that's where I decided that I wanted to, what I wanted to spend my life doing. Um, God then led us up here uh, to Vanderbilt. Uh, where I did my fellowship training in trauma and emergency general surgery specifically. And so uh, our plan was always to come up here uh, mm -hmm. for two years, finish fellowship, and then we'd go back to Georgia where I'd been born and raised. And um, 
you know, God had other plans for us. And yeah. he, he, you know, we were welcomed here uh, in the community and, and at the church. And it, it became obvious that God's plans for us were to stay here uh, to do trauma. And so, so that's, I guess, how, how I was, I feel like I was led mm-hmm. uh, and, and put where we are now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, why is this so important to you? I mean, you've, you've seen this kind of blossom in your life. You said ortho at first and then how you got into more trauma. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of a tough field, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, um, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, I could never do what you do. Um, I sort of say that about a lot of things other people do. <laughs> um, and so I think that's really why I think that's so important to me is that this is, it's clear to me that this is what God wanted me to do. This is the area that I'm you know, where, where my gifts are, I'm able, I'm able to do those, you know, take care of those patients, um, in those settings, you know, and, and really, um, provide them the care they need. And, and so for me, that's, you know, it's this, uh, combination or, or the crossroads of, of what I think is God's will for me and, and my passions and my, my yeah. interests. And so it makes it, um, definitely makes it easier for me to get up and go to work every day, because uh, it's something that I love doing and it's something that I'm good at. Um, or I think I'm good at. And so it's, you know, I think that's why this is something that I, that I think is important. Yeah, that, I love that. I mean, when we can get into that intersection, right, with God's will and our passions, the way he wired us, that's, man, that, yeah. it's not a job anymore. Then it's a calling and it's something you want to be a part of. Right. And right. really, and I think that's for every man just trying to get into that sweet spot and yeah. live that way is, exactly. is our calling. So tell me some of the things, you know, uh, in your medical training, that impacted your relationship with the Lord? Because there's a lot of people who get into, you know, um, the medical field or in the sciences and they kind of move away from God. But yet, you press deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I think for me, the, the more that I learned, you know, about the physiology, the anatomy, the bio, you know, the biochemistry of, you know, the human body, the, the more you, the more self-evident God becomes, mm. you know. And I think that you learn, there's just no way that, you know, how integrated everything in our, you know, even down to our individual cells. There's just, you know, all the systems and organ systems of the body. There's just no way that those are, that's, that's a random chance, that it's a, a, a fortunate combination of mutations or whatever, you know, people want to talk about. I mean, it, it, I think it's exactly like Paul said in Romans 1, that, that it, you know, God made himself self-evident to the world, to the mm-hmm. natural world. And, and I think that the more I learned about medicine and the human body, the more that that became very evident to me. Wow. Do you see that in the field? Because I read something the other day that like 51% now of scientists would say there is a, a higher power, you know, or, a, a, you know, intelligent design. I mean, whatever word they want to use, because I do think you see that more and more. Now we hear the other side of that where people push away and, and we start to trust in our own knowledge. But do you see that in the medical field or do you see like more people kind of pushing away? Um, I, I see both, yeah. for sure. You know, I, I definitely feel like, um, especially at an academic medical center, uh, you definitely see a lot of people who don't want to, you know, uh, acknowledge what I think is self-evident. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of people who, um, <clears throat> and I think a lot of that may be a little bit egocentric in that they want to feel like they have more control over, you know, the 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 outcomes of the patients than, than we probably really do have. Uh, but there's also a lot of people there who, uh, who, who definitely acknowledge, you know, the role of God and, and Jesus and, and what we do every day. Um, mm. And I'm fortunate that I have some partners who, who do uh, have the same, you know, views about it that I do. And we talk a lot about that. Um, and it is an important part of what we, you know, uh, how we carry ourselves and, and what we, in the work we do. Well, I'm thankful for you. I tell you, having uh a godly doctor makes a ton of difference, and, and you know, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that, you know, pastoring a church and at the hospitals a lot, and somebody who cares and somebody who has a greater vision. So when you talk about ICU, when you talk about trauma, what are some of the things that you've seen out there, some of the 
challenges or even difficulties that you've seen? Yeah, for me, the the hardest the hardest part of what I do is um, I think has got to be taking care of young people with mm. with severe brain injuries. Mm. Um, that that group in particular. Um, is a group that spikes, uh, strikes a, a chord uh, with me, and, and a lot of that has to do with my past. Um, my brother was a, is a survivor of traumatic brain injury, um, and as a side note, it just, I think the timing of this interview is fortunate uh, or fortuitous. Yesterday was Trauma Survivors Day uh, nationwide, and so wow. you know my, my brother is is a, a, a trauma survivor, and so that was um, when he was 18. He was a victim of a a severe TBI. Um, he spent 45 days in the ICU, and um, so it was a. Th- that's a, a a group that's sometimes tough to deal with, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, especially when I, you know, they have parents there, you know, that are attentive and remind me a lot of my own, you know, parents. Um, it, it, it definitely brings back a lot of memories. Um, and now that I have, you know, three, you know, younger kids, I think about, you know. Um, could be me, you know, and, and, and that could be any of us. And, and, and that, that makes it, um, those are challenging sometimes in that regard. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. So how do we as men, I mean, we, we talk about being prepared for tragedy, but, but we do live in a fallen world and it does seem like more and more every time we turn the, you know, the, the news on, we pull up and online, it, there's another mass shooting, there's another tragedy, there's something that's happening. How do we prepare for these kind of things in the world that we live in today? So yeah, this is I think an, an area that I have some some special interest in. You and Chase know this as well because yeah. I um, I came here and I've, there's a course that, that I actually teach or that we teach at Vanderbilt um, that's called a bleeding control course and uh, it, it's a course designed for people without medical backgrounds um, that, to provide them with some skills that they that could help them in these situations. So back up a little bit and tell you a little about the course. It started after the Sandy Hook shooting in yeah. uh, 2012. So a group of, uh, of a number of important organizations nationwide, the American College of Surgeons, American College of Emergency Physicians, uh, the Surgeon General, the FBI, uh, a a number of police uh, and fire organizations, um, and the Department of Defense all uh, convened a group um, known as the Hartford Consensus, and they came up with um, basically an action plan to deal with what they felt like was a rising uh, need for you know, to do something, you know, re- related to the number of mass shootings that were occurring in this country. And so um, a couple things came out of that, and one of them is this is the bleeding control course. And you guys know, um, now that you're certified, um, uh, and some of those skills, uh, basically from a, uh, uh, in general, backing up to people who are not medical providers, the first things that I think you should understand is that, you know, the first thing you should do is you should always run from it. There's no reason, you know, if as somebody who doesn't have the, you know, the skills as, as a law enforcement officer and is not, you know, there for that purpose, you know, the first thing you should just protect yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so you run, and if you can't run, then you hide. And if you can't hide, then, then, then that's when you have to make, you know, the tough decision about, you know, is, are you in a position to do something to fight back, right? Um, so that's the first tenet. And then beyond that, we talked uh, in the, in the, about some of the specific skills in terms of uh, tourniquets for people who have injuries to their arms and legs, um, but then also even things like just holding pressure and, and packing wounds uh, on ones that you can't control bleeding with. So those are some of the that, – that's certainly how I think that um, – we, you know, that's the things that people can do in the midst of a, of a mass shooting. Uh, but I think the important one is that you protect yourself, you protect those around you um, first. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's good to know because as men, right, we, we want to step in and we want to help. With, yeah. for, and so when you see something like, I remember watching the Boston Marathon, you know, and when the bomb went off and then watching the uh, people flee, but also watching the, you know, police officers running toward that. And, right. and I think as men, our natural tendency is to, but we don't know. Definitely. I mean, you know, if we're not in the medical field, when we get there, we're not sure what to do. Right. So trying to be prepared for something like that is important. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. Having this, you know, understanding who are the people that need to run to that chaos, who are the ones that maybe should step back, you know, do you have the skills to be able to help in that setting? I think it's definitely, you know, important. And it's not just in mass shootings, right? I mean, there's car wrecks and there's all kinds of times where we come upon a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, one of the important points of the course is that while, you know, it came about as a result of a mass shooting, you're much more likely to see that, you know, driving your car on the highway, right? You're much more likely to see it at the ballpark, uh, yeah. you know, something like that in terms of somebody having just an injury, not, yeah. not, a, not necessarily a victim of violence. Yeah. So how do we prepare? I mean, like, you know, if we don't have the opportunity to take the course, mm-hmm. how do we prepare? Because, you know, when you're in the army, right, they prepare you for, hey, you're going into war. And I don't think we all wake up thinking, hey, I'm going into battle today. But I do think we need to have a mindset of, I do live in a fallen world. There, there are tragedies that are going to happen. How do we prepare ourselves for living in this kind of world today? Sure. If, uh, to me, there's a couple of uh, components to that. To, to the preparation, and, and the first one I think is it all kind of comes down to, you know, getting your house in order. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the first thing um, is is on the front end of preparation in terms of making sure that your family is taken care of if things happen, you know, that are that are tragic, and you or someone is is you know, dies or is out of work for an extended period of time. So that's you know, disability insurance, life insurance, making sure that that you have a will, you know, that's updated and that, you know, and, and, but I think all of that kind of comes down to having a conversation with your family about what are the things that are important to each of you, particularly as it relates to your medical care or in something like that where you're not able to make your own decisions. And so we, you know, we want to make sure um, as medical providers that we do, you know, the things that are um, most in line with our patient's wishes. And so mm-hmm. the things that help us do that are when those wishes are well known, when they've had those conversations, whether they've written them down in the form of an advanced directive or a will or not, or they've just had those conversations with their loved ones. So I think that's, that's certainly one thing that, that everybody should do. Um, I think the other thing, you know, is we've talked about some of the skills, you know, a bleeding control course, you know, um, education, you know, in terms of being able to provide aid is certainly, you know, another component of that um, CPR, those kinds of things. Um, are useful as well. And then the third one, I think, is, is having your heart in order, you know, having your internal house in order, right? And so um, understanding, you know, I think building your relationship with God, you know, placing your, your trust and your faith in God. I think as we see these things in our, you know, go on in, in the world and we see them on the news every day, you know, it, it can certainly generate um, a lot of fear and anxiety. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that, that, can, that can be crippling. And, and I think that it's important that you know, if we, we put our faith in God and our trust in God that, that he, you know, is going to protect us and that he's going to put us in situations that are, you know, that are going to, that he's designed for us, right? That he, he has a plan um, so that if we do face those tragedies, we realize that we're not in it alone. We mm. have someone to lean on, someone that we can put our, our faith and trust in, um, but also understand that this isn't a punishment for us, that this is God's part of God's plan, that he's mm. building and shaping us when these things happen. Um, and I think that that is something that, you know, we certainly learned in my family when, when we went through our, our trials with my brother, 
Um, and, and I think it's important for people to realize, because I think, you know, if you, uh, my wife and I were talking about this last night, you know, if you had to face these sorts of tragedies and these sorts of situations without having a faith in God, mm. to me, that would be, I don't know how you would do it. I mean, if you had nothing to look to a better beyond, you know, nothing beyond this incident, whether it's death or, you know, you know, significant injury, to know that at some point things were going to be better. If you had no hope for that, that would be, I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, that's, I think that's probably, you know, the most important thing that you can do to prepare yourself. Mm. That, that's strong. I'm, I'm telling you, Brad, you know, waking up every day and just saying, I need to be in, in the Lord. I need to be living for him today, yeah. you know, reading God's word, prayer. I think that's how you prepare for you know, we want to do, we want to be fixers, right? As right. men, you know, we yes. want to, we want to fix everything, but, but really to rely on the strength of the Lord exactly. and uh, put our faith in him. That's how we're prepared for the day or for whatever comes. Absolutely. Uh, that's important. Have you seen a difference in families who are walking through these kind of tragedies who know the Lord and who don't? I mean, do you see that in, in the emergency room or in trauma centers? Or? I think you do. Um, and, and so, Definitely, and, and yeah. I think it's, the difference is how they how they approach you know death and dying yeah. um, of of their family members or loved ones, and and so part of what we do, you know, our goal, uh, uh, particularly in the ICU, but in the trauma world as well, is is we're trying to preserve life. We're not trying to prolong dying, and so part of that, if we you know what we want to do is do everything we can to give the person back as close to their previous injury life as they can. Um, once we determine that that's not possible or it's not going to be something that, you know, what we, what we need to do that is to know what is acceptable quality of life for them. What's the sort of things that they would be happy, you know, being able to do. Mm-hmm. And that's different for everybody. Um, and what, once we're able to determine that and we say, so what the quality of life that this patient's going to have is not going to be acceptable to them, if they were here having this conversation with us, um, then I think we, what we have to do is make some decisions that are sometimes difficult. Mm. And uh, the families that handle those best, I think, are the ones that are able to remove their own self-interests from the equation. And, and that's hard to do, because certainly selfishly, we want, we want to do everything mm. for our family members. We want to give them everything, every medically available treatment we want to give them. And we want to do everything we can do to keep them alive. And you know, it's important that, that, that we remove ourselves from that in those situations. And we say, you know, and this is the conversation that I frequently, unfortunately, have to have with families is if your loved one was sitting here, mm. what would they say that they would want? What would be an acceptable life for them? What, what would their wishes be if they were able to speak for themselves here? Um, and so the families that are able to do that and say, you know, despite what I want, this is really what he would want or what she would want to do, mm. um, then that, that's, those are the people that, that, make, uh, that help us make the decisions that we think are best for the, or most in line with the patient's wishes. And, and so then we're able to... So, so sometimes that is, hey, he would, I mean, he'd want to do everything. He'd, he would want to, you know, he'd want to give this a long time and let's see if he could pull out of this. Or some say, you know if this was going to be a long recovery, if he felt like he was going to be a burden to a family or he was going to be, you know, live his life in a nursing home, you know, that's not what he would want. It's not mm. what she would want, you know. And so then we can transition to us trying to, you know, heal and, and restore life to saying, well, let's focus on comfort. Let's make them comfortable. Let's allow family to be with them. And, and I think those families that 
you know, understand, you know, God and Jesus and that there is something more to look to beyond this world, I think they're able to make those, uh, make those decisions a little mm. bit more easily and a little bit more readily um, than those that really only kind of live in the here and now and there, you know, so that it's harder for them to get outside of their own selfish interests. Wow, that's strong. And the hard part to think about is, as men, you know, at some point in our lives, we're going to be facing those decisions, and we'll be the ones that people will be looking to, you know, for our parents or grandparents or aunts, uncles, or, you know, I mean, just there's, we sit in that seat a lot of times, and so hearing you talk, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard, right? It's yeah. sobering, but at the same time, it's also like, okay, I'm going to be prepared for that, and, and I think to your point earlier, I mean, spiritually, that's the important thing is that we're right. prepared spiritually for whatever happens. Right. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, and, and you're right. We're, we're guaranteed to be in that situation, yeah. right? I mean, hundred percent of us are going, unfortunately, to deal with death, yeah. you know, our own or somebody else's. So we're guaranteed to deal with it. And I think being prepared and understanding, you know, yeah, that there is something beyond what's here in, on earth is, is I think important. Mm. So if I could kind of recap, so being prepared for tragedy, I'm, I'm hearing you say spiritually, you know, make sure every day you're ready because we don't know when things are going to happen. Right. Um, two, get your house in order. And talk about that for a second because you mentioned disability. What are those things that you think as a, from a doctor that you would say to people, hey, if you are a, you know, husband, a father, these are things you need to really be yeah. prepared for. I, I think... You know, I think as men and, and leaders of our household, we want to provide for our families, yeah. right? And, and so financially, we want to be able to provide for them. And so what you don't want to do is find yourself in a situation where you're injured, you know, traumatically injured and are unable to provide for your family. And then they're not able to make ends meet, right? And so that's where, to me, life insurance, enough that you can, you know, pay off your debts, you can provide education for your children, um, uh, you know, those, that's essential, yeah. um, you know, and disability insurance, if it's not, you know, obviously if you're, if you're not, if you survive your injuries, but you have a prolonged recovery period, you, you need to be able, you're going to have a lot of bills, you know, you're, you're still going to have the existing bills that you had before, you know, your house payments and, and those sorts of things. And so you want to be able to take care of those things. Um, there was some, you know, recently, uh, read a, a journal article about, um, about how uncommon or how Frequently, this, this does happen where people aren't prepared for these injuries, and, and we, they refer to it, uh, the, the title of the article was Curing to Destitution, you know, because they come through these traumatic injuries, and now they're faced with this with financial ruin, basically, you know, and so that's where being prepared financially, I think, is, is, is really key. Um, so, you know, I, and then the other side of that, too, is also having the conversations and having the advanced directive so that people, your family members, know what your wishes are, but also so that you know what theirs are so that you're able to make those decisions. Uh, and how do you accurate. do that? I mean, how, as a man, how do you initiate that kind of conversation? Because yeah. that's not always easy, right? It's, it's, you're right. Um, <laughs> it probably comes a little bit easier for me uh, mm-hmm. than it yeah. does for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, you know, I, I unfortunately find myself in a, in a lot of situations to, to come home and have that conversation. Um, but I think that we're all going to be touched by death or tragedy um, at some point in our life. And I think those moments provide us the opportunities to have those conversations, um, whether it's you're there at the hospital and you're on the car, you know, in the car on the way home or when you get home, or even when you see it on, on, on the news, this is an opportunity to say, you know, hey, what would you, what would you want to do mm. if 
traumatic brain injury for me is always kind of the one that I always think about because yeah. it can do, you know, a, lot, a number of different things, right? So, you know, if it's something that is, is severe enough that you're not going to survive so, or that you're not going to be able to really be functional, like, you know, to a, a level that you're okay with, so you're not going to be able to work, you're not going to be able to talk, you know, you, you're basically going to be nursing home bound, you know, is that something that you'd want? Is that what you'd want to do? Um, <clears throat> you know, what if there was the opportunity to get better in, say, a year? You know, if you thought, hey, I, I'm, you know, it's going to be a long year, but I would get through that. Is that something you'd want to do? Or what about, what about if your kidneys failed and you had to be on dialysis? Or, or your lungs failed and you were on a ventilator and you, you know, for a long, long time, you know, and maybe never come off. Are these, you know, is that something you'd want to do? Is that something that you'd be okay with us doing? You know, and, and it's not, it's a little bit awkward. It's certainly not a conversation that I think a lot of folks routinely have. Um, but it, I mean, I think it is important and it helps. It, it, I mean, it, it's essential for your family to know what sort of things that you would want. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think it's, it's something that guys, we kind of avoid, Yeah. right? I mean, because it's like, I don't know, that's awkward to talk with my parents about that or it's awkward to talk with my you know, wife about that. Right. Or, but it's so important and you see it, I see it, you know, and you get the, the phone call and, and you're devastated, you're running up to right. the hospital and then you're saying, well, you know, what are their wishes? Do you get a lawyer involved in that or is that something you just hand write out? I mean, how do you know? Because, right, if somebody's in a coma, you don't, how do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. So not a legal expert on that. Right. So, you know, I would have probably to defer to a lawyer on the legalities of it. Um, I know certainly for a, a will, you know, you, you would usually involve a lawyer, but you don't have to have a legal document okay. to get, give your family the guidance to make those decisions. You know, and whether you write it on a napkin or you write it in a, you know, 35-page, you know, will, um, as long as your family understands what your wishes are. They're going to be the ones who are going to make your medical decisions if you're not able to make them. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to make sure that they know, mm -hmm. you know what those are. Mm -hmm. That's good. So you've got be prepared spiritually every day. You've got get your house in order, right? Yeah. You know, with, with the wills and with life insurance, disability, uh, those things are so important. I would say the next step, and I, I'll just ask you about this, but I think community is a big part of this. You know, having, being involved in church, you know, having a community group, having friends, having people around. Mm -hmm. um, because what I see on the other side of it is when people aren't involved, you know, not only is there a financial burden if, if they haven't taken care of the house in order, but if they have taken care of the house in order, still, if you're left with one parent trying to raise, right. you know, kids or you're left with, I'm trying to manage somebody who's in, you know, long-term care, you need community. Definitely. In, yeah, and, and you're right. And that's, that's not for you as the patient yeah. so much as it is for your family, your and, your, family. and your friends, right? And, and, and that's definitely something that we experienced, you know, in my family was, you know, when my brother was injured, having that support there, having, I mean, we, you know, we were at the hospital every day for yeah. a month and a half. And, and so having people there just to sit with you, whether you talk or don't talk, you know, and, and whether you're, you know, you need somebody shoulder to cry on or just to bring you a meal, you know, like that's, Taking those burdens off your plate in times that you know that, that you're not able to do those things yourself is is really very very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah, I think building that community, building that network um, where you live is is probably one of the more underrated side uh, yeah. components of it. And that's something that I routinely even think about. Uh, but definitely, 
is, is essential. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important, and I just see that from a uh, you know pastoral side, going to sure. hospitals and seeing and and uh, just the, the God's gift of church, God's gift of community, God's gift of because we celebrate the joys together, but there's also the challenges that we face, and right. none of us, all of us, think we're immortal, right? At this age, you know, all of us think you know, hey, nothing's ever going to happen to me, but it does, yeah. and uh, that's the thing that we've got to understand, you know, being prepared spiritually having our house in order having community around us yeah. so and then i think you know we we kind of look at the big the big tragedies that happen out there the mass shootings but even the, as many that happen it's not as a percentage as much as a car wreck or uh right. you know what your brother went through you know i mean that those things happen on a more frequent yeah. basis absolutely i mean definitely you know we talk about mass shootings and and you know, so one of the, the difficulties with mass shootings is, from a, a scientific standpoint, is studying them because we're not fully allowed to study them from a political standpoint. But when you, even when you look at the numbers, however you define it, you know, you're talking about hundreds at most, mm-hmm. 200 a year, versus auto accidents, which are hundreds of thousands a year. So you're far and away. This is the kind of tragedy you're going to deal with: is is motor vehicle accidents, and even stuff more simple than that. You know, older folks who fall. Yeah. You know, and that for us in this country is a growing problem of, of significant proportion. Um, I mean, we're talking about that for us, that's about, that's probably 20 or 30% of our trauma admissions are older folks who, who fall. So, you know, that, I mean, it, even, it doesn't have to be something as dramatic as a, a bad car accident but that, that puts you in a situation where you are having to deal with tragedy mm-hmm. and with death. How do you personally deal with death? Because you're, you're in the ER, you're, you're there. And I remember when my wife's uh, mom um, was rushed into the ER and I remember going in there and I tell you, it was, it was tough watching, sure. you know, that whole process take place. And right. those were her last days and, you know, she's on in heaven and praise God and, and the hope we have in Christ. I mean, I don't know how people survive without that, but um, how do you handle that each day? So I think if you, you know, dealing with it every day, and, and unfortunately, you know, we, we do see, uh, you know, more than our share of it. Um, I think it, you, you learn to compartmentalize, you mm. know, those things. And so you, you focus on the specific, for me as a provider, you know, I focus on the specific injuries and what are, the, what are our goals yeah. for the day? What am I trying to do for this patient? You know, and I, um, and so that's, that's a really, uh, to me, that's a really helpful way to look at it. You know, if I, you know, the more that I kind of detach myself from the individual injuries and sort of look at them as a whole person, the easier, first of all, you see the totality of sickness and, and injury that that, that patient's getting, uh, you know, experiencing. And that can be in and of itself overwhelming, but then you also sort of bring in that human component to it. Yeah. And, and so it, you, you know, then you start to real, you know, you start to think about what they were, what they, you know, are. And, and, and so that, that does make it difficult to focus on the job at hand. And so that's what I think we try to do, um, you know, when we're in the moment um, is focus on exactly what our, you know, what our goals are. I think as a, as a trauma surgeon, you know, I typically am sort of the leader of that team that's taking care of those, those patients. And so one of the other, I think, big roles that I play is keeping everybody else focused on the tasks at hand as well. And so I try to project calm uh, in those moments and, 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 you know, whether I 
fully understand exactly, you know, what are the issues we're dealing with or, or whether I'm still trying to get a handle on everything that's going on. My job is to predict calm. And I sort of use the um, analogy when I teach the residents about this of, of kind of a duck swimming on water, right? So on the, above the surface, very calm, very smooth, very placid, but underneath the legs are just, you know, yeah. a million miles an hour. And so that's sort of what's happening, you know, is that inside, I'm, you know, there's a lot of things that are running through my head, but outside I'm trying to project calm, you know, that, that we have this under control. These are the things that we're going to do, and we're going to start with, you know, we're going to start with their airway. We're going to, you know, assess their breathing. We're going to check their blood pressure. You know, like that's how, you know, we're going to do this in a stepwise fashion. So we compartmentalize, you know, we, we focus on individual, you know, steps in the process. And I think that's the best and the easiest way for us to deal with it. See, I think that is incredible truth for every man, you know, in whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's tragedy or whether it's something at work that just seems to be going out of control. I mean, that, that calm really shows the leadership in you and it yeah. really shows, hey, I've got a greater faith that God's in control of this and God's yeah. sovereign. And, uh, you know, so as a, as a man, as a leader, you've, you've got to be the calm one. And yeah. as hard as that is inside, you're just running 100 miles an hour yeah. and you're thinking of worst case scenarios, but you, you've got to be the one to project that. Right. And you trust. see, and you definitely see, you know, when we have those moments um, particularly, you know, I see this with, with some of the trainees that we work with, you know, when they aren't projecting that calm, the room feels it, you know, yeah. and, and, and it sort of creates, you know, additional anxiety and additional, you know, emotion in the room. And, and so the more we try to, to, to rein that in, the, the more able, the, the more we're able to effectively work. That is so powerful for every guy here, every guy watching, I think, because, you know, your family's going to feed off that. I mean, right. everybody around you is going to feel, you know, how you handle that situation Absolutely. in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of something that yeah. is unexpected. So what advice would you give us as men about being spiritual leaders? You know, I think, um, I think that's probably one of the main ones is that, you know, set the tone, you know, wow. as the spiritual leader, you know, of your family or of your, you know, in your group, you know, it's, it's, it's you, you, you can set the tone and, mm. and you should set the tone. And, and so, um, you know, one of the, one of the other things I think that's important as a spiritual leader is that sometimes you got to get outside your comfort zone, and you got to, you know, you may not exactly know what you're getting into, uh, but having faith in God that He's going to lead you, you know, down the right path, you know, I think is an important uh, an important role or important lesson for for leaders. Mm. Um, and, you know, and it, like I said, it may not be something that you're comfortable with, or maybe something that you know. Certainly, I've never done this. I don't exactly know, you know, how this is going to turn out. But if you feel God pulling you to do that or calling you to do that, then I think that, you know, have the faith, have the trust in, in the Lord to, to take that step. Mm, I love that. You know, because, yeah, leaders lead, right? And right. take initiative and yeah. step out. And, yeah, a lot of times we're, we're afraid of that. But as men, that's, that's our calling. And, right. and, and God put us as men for a time such as this. You know, we weren't born in some other era. We were born here and now. So that's, that's great advice. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be, Brad? Yes, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, so what, you know, I think there's kind of, uh, there's two sides to that, that, that I think of it. I think of it, you know, professionally, but I think of it, you know, from a family standpoint. Uh, but they all probably come, you know, they all sort of stem from the same thing. And, and it's that I want to reflect, I want to reflect Christ in what I do. Um, you know, and, and I want that to reflect in the work that I do. I want people to... Um, you know, first of all, I want to do the Lord's work, you know, when I'm there and I want to do it, you know, uh, as we've been talking in the mm -hmm. wholehearted series, you know, I, I want to reflect the attitude of Christ. And that's, um, 
you know, that, that's really my goal. Uh, you know, I'm not always as good at it as I want to be, but I, but I try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and the same thing at home, you know, and I want to, uh, I want to reflect Christ's love as a father and as a husband. Um, I want to, I try to teach my children. I want them to be leaders, um, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, but also, you know, in their lives. You know, I think that they, uh, that's, that's really what I want my legacy to be for them. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh man, thank you for all you do too. I tell you, you, you just have an impact on so many people and, and we pray for, I, I pray for all the doctors and uh, nurses and, you know, uh, nurse practitioners and everybody in the medical field because that, that is such an important time of life and it's a time when people are, are, are really open to what is truth and what is out there. And so just thank you for the way you live your life for Christ. So, thank you. hey, I think we've got a couple of questions for you. What? All right. Chase? Yes, uh, we do. The first question is, what does it look like practically for you to share Jesus, uh, your faith in Jesus with coworkers, patients, patients' families, etc.? Yeah, that, that's a great question. That's a tough one, um, I think, you know, for people to, to navigate. And, and I, um, I've definitely struggled uh, with this um, as well. You know, I think that particularly, as we mentioned, you know, the academic uh, medical world is, is certainly... Um, a lot less open and receptive to the message. And so I, for me, um, I, I try to do it with my actions, um, you know, and, and so I, I don't, um, I think that's the, the best for me, the best first step. That's certainly, you know, I'm, I'm not especially gifted in, you know, going out and, and immediately finding people that, you know, I don't know or, or that, you know, I've just recently met and, and sharing Jesus with them, you know, in a conversation or asking about their faith. So I think for me, my, you know, I'm best, uh, I'm most gifted in terms of mirroring, you know, the, the qualities uh, of Christ that I, that I think are important. Um, and then as you kind of, you know, gauge that relationship and you sort of have those conversations, you, you know, you, you certainly, I feel like you can tell, you know, sort of a little bit where people are, you know, in their faith. Um, and so when you see those doors open or you see those opportunities that you, you capitalize on, on those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I think, how you practically, I think, is the best way for me to do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, it, and it goes back to being prepared spiritually every day, right? right. I mean, I think if you're, you're spending time with the Lord, if you're praying and just saying, God, use me today, then those conversations are going to come but, and you're more aware of those. Right. And then, you know, when to step into that and say, you know, hey, let me, let me share with you, you know, the hope that I have, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's important. But I think if we're not spiritually prepared every day, then there's opportunities that, that come and right. go and there's people who are in desperate need and... You know, it's just being open, allowing the spirit to move through you. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great, great yeah. point. You got another one, Chase? I do. And this is a, a new question even on the screen. So this is, a, can you speak to the prevalence of miracles you witness at work? Can you repeat that one for me? Can Chase? you speak to the prevalence of miracles that you've witnessed in your work? The miracles, miracles that, that I've witnessed. Work. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I'll give you a specific example without, you know, revealing, you know, protected information. But I had, I had a case the other day, uh, actually about two weeks ago now, of, you know, I got called to the emergency room to see somebody who was bleeding to death. And when I got there, they were, you know, actively doing CPR. They had, he had lost his pulse, you know, two separate times uh, from bleeding. We were able to get him to the operating room. It, he had, you know, ruptured his kidney. Um, and we took his kidney out. Uh, stopped his bleeding, you know, he's, even after that, he still lost his pulse another time, um, but was able to pull through this. And it was, um, 
you know, I, I think having all of the people, you know, I think God, you know, brought the, the, the emergency, uh, the emergency department people together, the blood bank, you know, the surgery team, the OR staff, and then the ICU staff together, um, you know, in, in, in perfect, you know, sequence that uh, it, it really, I mean, this guy was, uh, it, it, it was really sort of, you know, God stuff that I was in the ER at that time to even be, you know, happen upon this, this uh, situation. So it, uh, uh, to me, that was a pretty crystalline example of, uh, yeah. of miracle in, in my job. So. Well, and I think a lot of times we try to separate out, you know, faith from medicine. And, yeah. and I, I don't think so. I mean, I think God and his sovereignty has given us incredible medical people who, right. you know, I mean, you pray for a miracle for your, your family, your brother, you know, or, you know, yeah. um, and, and you start to see all these people that God brings in and you just go, praise God, you know? Right. So I think, yeah, I, mean, I think there's miracles that happen every day. Uh, it's just the way you view it. Right? Yeah. I think there, are, yeah, I agree with you. And there are miracles that happen every day. And I think that's a good example of one. I see, we see them with, you know, some of our, uh, well, a lot of our traumatically injured patients. I think the other side of that too is, is, you know, I think we definitely hear a lot of families ask us, you know, well, or, or tell us, you know, that they're really going to be praying for a miracle or they're wanting to see a miracle. And I think um, as it's hard sometimes when I want that for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing God telling us with the various things that are happening, this isn't that case. This mm-hmm. isn't that time. And that's hard as well. You know, you see it on both sides. Yeah. And I think it's how you define it too, yes. right? You know, because for a believer, right? I mean, the, the life to come is going to be so much better than life here. Yes. And so, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, I remember like Lisa's mom and she's, she was older uh, and, I, and I'm thinking, what is that quality of life here versus yeah. what is there? Right. You know, and so as much as you want her to be here, you just go, I'm going to be with her again. I know we're going to. So, so the miracle of God taking her home is, is just as a viable miracle to me. Uh, and how he does that um, is, is important, you know. So, right. yeah, it's a good perspective. I do have one more question. Okay, one more. This is um, uh, actually a member of our A6 um, care team and prayer team for, from our A6 men. He's asked this question. I, I make hospital visits a lot. And he said, how do you cope with the disappointment personally and professionally? How do you handle being the one who delivers bad news? I think this is a great, even if you're mm-hmm. outside of A6. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, one of the most important messages that, that we teach our, our residents um, and fellows is particularly that first one is how do you how do you cope with that personal and, and professional disappointment? Um, certainly in trauma and, and emergency surgery and the ICU, you know, one of the things that helps is that you know everything that we do, do everything that, that all the interventions that we've done are with the intent of helping. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't I didn't wreck that car. You know, I didn't shoot that person. You know, and, and all I'm trying to do is help, and that's. You know, that's, I think, for me, uh, an important perspective to maintain is that, you know, we're giving, we're here to try to give people a chance that they ordinarily wouldn't have had, or, you know, 100, 200 years ago, they wouldn't have had these, right. a chance to recover from these injuries. And so um, we're, in a, we're in a unique position to be able to help those people. And, and mm. I think, that, you know, having that perspective um, really helps in those situations when you're not able to help or when you do fight the good fight and it, and you lose, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that doesn't make it always easy in that moment. Um, you know, it's certainly, 
uh, it certainly hurts because we're invested, you know, and we want people to get better, you know, and we want to restore health and restore life. Um, but when we're not able to do it, uh, you know, and, and having, having somebody to talk to, you know, I mean, my wife has heard me, you know, talk about a number of professional disappointments in terms of not being able to help people that, that, uh, that I had invested a lot in. And, uh, and so, you know, having somebody that you can talk to that can also remind you of those things that, you know, you're doing the Lord's work, you know, (laughs) it's, it's not you that did that, right? Somebody, you know, the Lord's working through you and you didn't hurt them. You're just trying to help them. You know, those are, those are the things that I think help me cope with, with those disappointments. Um, the second question, how do you handle being the one who delivers bad news? Um, again, this is an important lesson that we teach our trainees as well as, is how do you talk to families? So an important thing as doctors is that we, you know, we tend to use jargon. We retreat to jargon because Mm. it's easier for us. I think even because you don't, you don't engage quite as much when you use medical jargon as when you try to keep it, you know, um, on, on lay terms, if you will. And so, so it's important to me that families understand what's happening and that they receive the information that I'm trying to get them. So, so delivering that bad news, um, I try to do it in as simple a way as I can, um, and not patronizing, but, you know, I mean, talking to them like I, you know, if I was not a medical provider. But the other thing is I try not to beat around the bush. I try not to take, you know, I don't want to weave a long tail about what's been going on because what they're going to hear is their family member died mm. or they are, you know, on a ventilator. Like they're, and they're really not going to hear a whole lot else that you say, especially in that first conversation um, that you have with them. And so to me, it's, um, I try to get to the point uh, with compassion and, and sensitivity um, and using, you know, frankly, using words that, that, that I know that they'll understand. Mm. Um, you know, when I'm telling people that their loved one has died, I used the word dead. I used died. I don't mm. use passed away or mm. didn't make it. You know, like I try to be very, I, I don't want to confuse them. And mm. I think that's the other point too, is being clear about it. Mm. Well, and I think to that question too, it's so good <clears throat> just to say as men, instead of running from things to run toward the the power of presence, the power of presence, whether we have a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, a lot of times we're like, we don't know what to say. And so we don't say anything or do anything, but man, it's the people who engage and who are just there being present or writing a card or an email or taking a meal or that makes all the difference. I think that's where Christ steps into those situations. And yeah. And I think assuming that, yeah, like they don't want to talk to me or they don't want you know, there's not anything that I can really do to help this, I think is not necessarily true either. You know, uh-huh. you're making assumptions without really knowing, you know, and if everybody does that, then those people find themselves isolated. And know? alone and right. afraid. And yeah. So we ought to be the men who engage in that. Yeah. yeah. Brad, thank you. This yeah. has been so good. I mean, yeah. thank you. It's not, it's not an easy topic, but man, it's been something that's so powerful for us yeah. as men. Let well, me pray for, for us. Absolutely. God, thank you for today. And Father, we do live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And God, we long for the day when you make everything new and everything right. And so, Lord, in the midst of this, I pray that, Father, we would be men who spend time with you, who are prepared every day, Father, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to walk into tough situations, Father, and just to love people and the power of presence that we walk in and share the love of Christ. And so, 
Um, Lord, in a world of tragedy, Father, let us be light and let us be love and let us be hope, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Brad and all the doctors and the medical professionals in our community, and I pray a blessing on them today. Father, thanks for this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, that concludes our MLN leadership for this semester. Be on the lookout today for the MLN Rewind, our email recapping today's interview with the video. And there's other links to other resources that provide. If you missed any of the MLN interviews over the past semester, or even, even further back than that, you can access those at Men's Leadership network.com. Again, this is the final week of our Men's Leadership Network for this semester, but we will be sending out additional resources throughout the summer, so be on the lookout for those in your inbox. Also, mark your calendar for September 7th when we kick off our fall semester with another great lineup of speakers and topics. If you'd like a voice on what topics to tackle this fall, please take a moment to fill out the survey on your tables. Uh, or, sorry, on the, in, in the MLN Rewind today, you can do that. Again, thanks for joining us, and have a great day.